Shalom, this is Reverend John Farad, and we are in the series, The Gospel According to Moses, in the book of Exodus, Lesson 29. We're going to continue our study of the plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And we're now at Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 21. But before I start, I wanted to add some comments as related to plagues 7 and 8. Plague 7 was the hail, and plague 8 that we looked at in lesson 28, part 1 and 2, was about the locusts. Now we recall, God said, we haven't got there yet, but in Exodus 12, verse 12, he says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Against all the gods. Now, for the Hebrews hearing this, those Hebrews who heard this for the first time, perhaps on the plains of Moab after Moses finishes all of his work on the first five books of the Bible, they'd get it. They had assimilated into the Egyptian culture. Now, we studied this in depth in this series, in Lesson 4, Part 2. I've linked you to that lesson so you can go back to see how the Bible supports the contention that the Hebrews, for the most part, had assimilated into the Egyptian culture. So it's at the website, www.lightofmenorah.org. Light of Menorah is all one word. Menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H, lightofmenorah.org. And it's under the picture in the session description. Now, for some of you, you may be actually using another uh, app for listening to these podcasts. And many times, these other apps will give you some words close to the place where you click to actually listen to the podcast and it'll say show more or read more or just the word more if you click on that you'll be able to get that link the link that i'm talking about to lesson four part two it will be in there or again you can go to the website and look under the picture the session description for this lesson, and you'll find the link. Now, we saw clearly that the Bible suggests, that, again, that most of the Hebrews had forgotten Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzhak, Elohe Yaakov, Elohe Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. They bought into the wrong story. To borrow a phrase from Ray Vanderland, my teacher, way back when in the summer of 2000. And they bought into the wrong story. And Adonai, through his plagues, is going to defeat, as he says in Exodus 12, 12, the gods of Egypt. These gods were nature gods. And God uses the forces of nature. Uses supposedly the Egyptian gods themselves to defeat themselves. It's really interesting. And thus God declares that he is God and he is God alone. 
Again, I'm grateful to a Bible scholar by the name of David Padfield. He did an excellent study on the plagues and how it's related to the gods of ancient Egypt. And in most cases, we would find that each plague is not just about one god, but perhaps multiple gods. I've also linked you to his free resource, again at the website, or again, if you're using a different app to listen to these podcasts, look for show more or read more, or maybe just the word more, to find that link to David Padfield's free resource on the internet. And, and it, it is really a wonderful scholarly piece. He's got a wonderful bibliography that's uh, attached to it as well. So Padfield shows that in plague number seven, the hail, hail comes from the sky. And who is the sky goddess but Newt? Newt, the sky, could not protect Egypt, nor Shu, god of the wind, or Horus, the hawk sky god of upper, of upper Egypt or southern Egypt. And neither could the great goddess Isis, the protector of the crops, or Seth. They could not stop Adonai from destroying the crops and the plants. Well, if that wasn't enough, then God sends locusts. And we read in the Torah that this plague was like nothing that has ever happened before or will ever happen again. This destroyed the agricultural economy of Egypt. Egypt primarily was an exporter of wheat and grain. The hail destroyed the barley. But the locust and came and ate everything else, especially the small stalks of wheat that the hail had missed. And the gods were powerless. Nephri, the god of grain, where was he? Or again, Isis and Seth again are silent. Now, if you recall, the first nine plagues are in special groups of threes called triads. We talked about this in previous lessons. The first plague of each group of the triad, in each of the first plagues of each triad, Aaron and Moses are to meet Pharaoh by the Nile in the morning. Now we dealt with this in lesson 24 of this series. In lesson 24, we were studying the time of the plagues. It was the Egyptian month of Shemu. It's the first month of the harvest. It's March or April. Of course, when we take a look at these events, this is going to be the first Passover. And on the biblical calendar or the Jewish calendar, we'd say it's the month of Nisan, which is March or April. Now, in the Egyptian mythology, it's the great celebration of the god Min spelled M-I-N. You can actually study this at the website called Ancient Egypt Online, all one word, ancientegyptonline.co, C as in cat, O as in ox, dot co, dot uk, backslash M-I-N. Ancientegyptonline.co.uk, backslash M-I-N. And here you're going to learn about the god Min. He was the god of fertility and sexuality. 
In the month of Shemu, his statue was carried in the fields as a blessing to the crops. Min was said to bless the fields and the crops and the grain. His celebration was held in the first month of the harvest, Shemu. And we have in the study of ancient archaeology of Egypt that there were celebrations every morning that the Pharaoh would participate in at the Nile River. And isn't it interesting that the first plague of each of the triads there to meet Pharaoh down by the Nile in the first month of Shemu? Wow! And where was Min? He was powerless to stop the destruction of the crops and the grain. The Torah inspired by Adonai seems to show us that God is giving us small details small details about even the first month of the harvest of Shemu. And it's able, these small details are, are, are those things that help us go into the ancient Egyptian culture to put the Bible in its historical context. And it just adds and expands our understanding of what's going on. And so we see Adonai's defeat of the great God Min. This screams out for us. Why does the church turn away from studying the Bible in its historical context? When we do, our understanding becomes so feeble, so limited, so shallow. And as we continue on with this lesson, 30 and then 31, we're, we're actually going to see how these details give us evidence to actually know the name of the pharaoh the exodus but again it assumes we know about the the culture of ancient egypt it assumes we study his word in its historical context it assumes the message of torah made a major impact on those hebrews coming out of egypt god was trying to get his chosen people to return to him and to know him concept is yada let's go to exodus chapter 10 verse 2 and i'll read verse 1 then the lord said to moses go to pharaoh for i have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that i may perform these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how i made a mockery of the egyptians and how i perform my signs among them that you meaning israel may know that I am the Lord. And we come across that Hebrew word again, know, which is the Hebrew word yada. We've talked about this in previous lessons. It's a knowing by experience. It's a knowing by walking with this God, living with this God each and every day. It's not just knowing. Like knowing I've got my slippers on right now as I'm here in the Israel room recording this. No, it's a knowing. And it's experiential knowing. It's an intimate knowing. It's just like Jesus, who wants more than anything else that we know him. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform any miracles. And then I will declare to you them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is not talking about a religion and practices of religion. He's talking about relationship. Implying a deep, intimate relationship between him and us. It was true then in Jesus' day. God is saying it was true in 1446 B.C. among the Hebrews. He wants them to know him. It's true forever as we read in Malachi 3.6 that he does not change. And it's true today. So we're now at the last plague. The third plague of the last triad. So we're going to go to Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 21, and we'll read through verse 29 to the end of the chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Now the first thing I just want to mention here, since this is the third plague of a triad, it means this plague comes without warning. Pharaoh has no idea what's about to happen to him. The Egyptians do not know what's about to happen to them. So it's always a plague without warning. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not, beware, do not see my face again. For in that day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, You are right. I shall never see your face again. So just like the other plagues, last plagues of each triad, gnats in Exodus 8.16, boils in Exodus 9 verse 8, and now the darkness. They all came without warning. Now it's very interesting in verse 21, the darkness could be felt. And on top of that, in verse 22, it was a thick darkness. Now these adjectives are really interesting. Darkness that you can feel? And darkness seemingly so thick you can't see through it? This is implied with that phrase that they just sat around for three days. They couldn't move. Dr. John Kareed, in his Torah commentary on the book of Exodus, has some comments on this. And there are very interesting comments across the board, whether you're in the JPS Torah commentary 
or you're actually reading the Torah commentary by Everett Fox or, or Hertz or Kareed or Dennis Prager. But I think uh, Dr. John Kareed has a good summary, uh, really, of all of them. He says this, The miraculous nature of the plague is, is not only in its timing, but also in its severity. The verse refers to a darkness that may be felt or handled. This verb is a hifel, and it only appears in that form in only one other place in the Old Testament in Judges 16, 26, in which Samson asked to be able to feel the pillars of the Philistine temple. So it's very interesting, this Hebrew word about darkness that could be felt. We take it again to Judges. And indeed, here was a darkness, a darkness that Samson was experiencing. He was blind, and he wanted to feel. He wanted to feel the pillars. And so it's a feeling. It's a, it's, there's almost like a texture to this. The idea being conveyed regarding the darkness is its peculiar thickness, density, and heaviness. Some commentators want to explain the darkness that may be felt by arguing that this plague is really a sandstorm or the Kamsin from Arabia that brings thick dust or sand. Now, Dr. Creed says there's absolutely no justification for such a naturalistic explanation of the scriptures. And I agree. I don't believe that this is something natural. I think it's something supernatural. The Torah doesn't even suggest it's a sandstorm. I mean, when God says that there's going to be a plague of locusts, he says locusts. When there is going to be hail, he says hail and fire. He does not even, God does not even hint at a sandstorm. But he's talking out of darkness that's thick. It's heavy. That could be felt. It seems God wouldn't have brought up an unnatural, brought up some sort of unnatural sandstorm. So I agree with Dr. Kareed. And no one moved about. It was so thick. It's almost like a supernatural fog. I've been in situations in the midst of a thick, thick fog at night. I could feel it on my face because a fog obviously is going to be very moist air, a cloud, you know, a cloud for that matter. <clears throat> and this is like a fog, thick, like thick smoke. It seemed to be even in the houses. So this is a plague showing that their number one God, and again, you can go directly to David Padfield's work, of Amun-Ra, the 18th dynasty. Amun-Ra, their number one god. Now they used to, the, the, Amun and Ra were used to be two gods, but they came into, merged into one. So in the 18th dynasty, during the time of the Exodus, this becomes the number one god, the primary god, the creator god. Now there's another cool connection that the Hebrews probably understood, but not us. Because again, the Hebrews had assimilated 
into the Egyptian pagan culture. And one of the things many of the Hebrews would understand is the Egyptian creation accounts. And in the Egyptian creation accounts, there's several, but one of the things that they have in common is that the earth and heavens were created. There was isfit everywhere, which is translated from the ancient Egyptian to English as chaos. In other words, you might say conditions that did not really support life and good life. These chaoses everywhere. There was no sun. There was no moon. There was darkness everywhere and disorder. There were no gods. There was no pharaoh. There was nothing. Now, I link you also to lesson number five in the Gospel according to Moses, according to the book of Genesis. In lesson five, we really go into the creation accounts of the Egyptians and our creation account. And we, and we see that when the Hebrews are reading the creation account, as in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, they see it's a direct attack against the Egyptian gods. It's a direct attack against the creation accounts of the Egyptians. It's a polemic, if you would. So, and I also link you to a video that's on YouTube, and that video, it's a short video, very well done, that gives you some of the basic elements of the three or four or five cosmological accounts of ancient Egypt, creation accounts. So it sounds like what Adonai is actually doing. He's bringing this thick darkness. It's like the days before Amun-Ra created himself. All nine plagues bring chaos and disorder. The forces of nature, the gods themselves, are used against themselves. It's return to the blackness before creation. Returning to the ultimate chaos. And we remember that the opposite of chaos in ancient Egypt was Ma'at. And she, and she was a goddess, the goddess of order and unity in the days of Moses. And this was Pharaoh's primary job, to maintain Ma'at, to maintain order, good life, goodness, according to their idea of goodness. But our God returned them to the chaos and blackness that was before Egyptian creation. So this is a picture of the utter defeat of the creator God, the sun god Amun-Ra, and all the gods of Egypt. Verse 23, the God of Israel does give light and life to his people. An awesome display of who God is and who has the power. Verse 24, Pharaoh relents. This is probably after the third day of darkness, perhaps. And he says, yeah, you can go. That's it. Okay, all the Hebrews, even the little kids, but no animals can go. you got to leave your flocks and herds here. I, I really wanted to thank Dennis Prager here for his comment. 
in his Torah commentary specifically on this verse. So reading from Exodus, God's slavery and freedom, the rational Bible, on verse 1025, Moses said, you yourself must provide us with sacrifices and burnt offerings to offer up to the Lord our God. So here's Pharaoh saying, you can't take your animals. Moses says, okay, then you give us the animals that we need so we can sacrifice. There's a problem. Dennis goes on to say, Moses humiliates Pharaoh by insisting the Egyptians who worship the animals the Israelites intend to slaughter must provide those very animals for their slaves to sacrifice to their God. We know from the rest of the Bible that they sacrifice oxen and bulls and rams. These are the gods of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 26, Moses even says, it's an abomination if we sacrifice our animals to the Egyptians. It's an abomination to them. Won't they stone us? And it's interesting that Dennis Prager brings that up right at this point. Because he's saying to Pharaoh, give us your gods so that we can sacrifice them. Verse 27, God gave courage to Pharaoh's heart. He did not harden his heart. He did not stiffen his heart. We come to the Hebrew word chazak again. Strong's number is 2388, H, 2388. He gave courage. So when we go into the Hebrew, we get a completely different alternative equivalent view of God and what's happening here in the accounts of Exodus. The English seems to hide the reality of God's truth and we mistranslate what's going on. We need to get to the Hebrew. God knows what's next. It's almost as if God gives courage to, courage to Pharaoh to stop now. It's almost like God is crying out, let them go or else. The Hebrew implies God is a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. He's slow to anger. That's in Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7. It's called the 13 attributes of God. It's almost as if God is saying he doesn't want to do what he knows he must do. But despite God giving courage to Pharaoh, not his heart, remember, his mind, Pharaoh did not do the good thing. He wouldn't relent. And he tells Moses to leave him. Don't come back or he will be executed. Adonai lives up to who he is. And now, Adonai will have to force the issue. So I'll see you in Lesson 30. We're going to come to the last plague, the one that is unique. We can truly say that this one should be called the hammer, the hammer of the Lord. I'll see you then.
Shalom.